that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right? I just want to emphasize Jesus is Lord. Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through to through him to God the Father. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. Say right, 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 right where you're at right now. Jesus is Lord. And ourselves as bond servants for Jesus' sake. Amen. When a person says Jesus is Lord in the first century, they were saying, Caesar's not Lord. You know, when Paul was saying Jesus is Lord, he was putting himself in political harm's way to be put in prison, to be beaten, to be canceled, right? So we have to understand that we say Jesus is Lord now, it don't mean much. But when you said Jesus is Lord in the first century, they were saying Caesar's not Lord. They were also saying that Kratos, the God of power, is not Lord. Plutus, the god of wealth, is not Lord. Or Aphrodite, the god of lust, is not Lord. But in our day, when you say Jesus is Lord, it doesn't necessarily not mean that Kratos, Pluto, Pluto, uh, Plutus, or Aphrodite is not in this pluralistic society. It's common for many Christians to have Jesus as their Lord on Sunday, and Plutus as their Lord at work, Kratos as their Lord at home, and Aphrodite as their Lord late at night when no one is watching. Ouch. Paul's message that Jesus is Lord was an in-your-face challenge to Caesar and every other pagan god. He let it be known. Anybody can get it. Amen. And today's announcement that Jesus is Lord challenges all the earthly powers as well as invisible principalities and powers of the hostile spiritual world that stands behind them. There's so much going on behind the scenes in the supernatural brothers and sisters, it would blow your mind. The gospel of the kingdom also brings opposition from forces which, the wor which worship the pagan god of power, greed, and lust. You know, there's sometimes, in certain places, you carry a Bible, and you will activate some people. You will, you, 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 you will stir up some people's demons. The gospel of the kingship of Jesus summons every person to repent of giving their allegiance to false gods and entities and give their only allegiance to Jesus of Nazareth instead. In short, the goal of the gospel is for us to be loyal, to bend the knee to Jesus, and not only to get you out of heaven, out of hell into heaven, but to get God out of heaven into you so you may display the visibility and, and glorify in his creation. That you may put you may demonstrate Christ, you may demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, you may carry the banner that Jesus is Lord. So today we're going to talk. I'm going to talk about some principles, principles of revival, 
personal principles of renewal and revival that helped me stay consistent, serving the Lord, serving God's people. And, and Zara will tell you, Zadia will tell you, for 25 years, see, I've been exposed to the gospel since 1988, but I've been serving, carrying chairs, praying for people, preaching, teaching for 25 years, a quarter of a century. And I know it's by God's grace, right? We're saved by grace. We're forgiven by grace. We're sustained by grace. You may screenshot this. We're healed by grace. We're liberated by grace. We, I've been given talents by grace. I've been used by God by grace. We, I've been kept saved by grace, transformed by grace, and matured by grace. Hallelujah. Screenshot that. See, we're saved by grace, but empowered to run the race. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud, so great cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance. Somebody say endurance, the race that is set before us. Hebrews 12, 1. See, one of, the things is to, one of the things I do is persistently reflect on endurance and revival. This has helped me stay consistent. I reflect on revival. I reflect on renewal because I've just seen so many men of God and women of God just give up their calling. So you know me, a little bit about me. From 1997 to 2000, oops, go back. I was a youth leader. Um... I was on a show on BCAT, a low-budget show on BCAT that I helped organize. Um, I was featured in the New York Post. I helped organize and speak at different retreats. I mobilized and brought young people from Brooklyn to California and Pennsylvania and Baltimore and New Jersey and Connecticut at different conferences. And that was with myself. That, uh, I think Zara was there. Zadia was there. Brother Pete, Sister Anna, Sister Natalie. And from the year 2000 to 2002, I went to Bible school in Southern California. I was a, a, a flag football commissioner for a huge uh, flag football league in San Gabriel Valley, California. I was a Sunday school teacher. I was a Bible school substitute teacher. I was a conference speaker, and I, became, I passed the test and became a licensed minister. From 2002 to 2007, I was a youth regional leader, supporting like nine churches, youth ministry. I led youth retreats, and I was a, a Bible school teacher as well. Bible studies, evangelistic centers, like many churches in Bushwick. That's how I got close to Pastor Raymond. From 2007 to 2022, I was a pastor, a parent coordinator, family leadership coordinator. I've been blessed to preach in California, uh, New York City. Connecticut, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Baltimore, I forgot to put Mexico, I forgot to put Puerto Rico, London, Manchester, and Ireland. By God's grace, I've been married 22 years to Sister Anna. I've seen her and supported, we supported each other in our journey. She supported me at Bible school. I supported her while she was working and going to school to get her associates, her bachelor's, her master's. 
We helped raise two awesome sons. We pioneered this church, building this church. My family attends church. I'm blessed to be friends with pastors, principals, and superintendents. And it's all by the grace of God. And these principles of renewal and revival. Mike Tyson once said in a podcast, and I found this because the podcast was full of curses, but I found an old clip on Twitter. Frank Sinatra said to him when he was a cocky kid, it's not how good you do, it's how long you do good. Oh, screenshot that. That's good stuff. You know, Mike, it was at a party and Mike Tyson had his fur, you know, he was gangster with it, and Frank Sinatra walked past him and said, it's not how good you do, it's how long you do good. And that's what I want you to serve. I want you to serve the Lord with power, conviction, uh, and joy for a long time until your last day here on earth. Brothers and sisters, life is too short not to live in the light of eternity. We are called to be occupied with the mystery of God amidst our duties and distractions of the ordinary. Bless God. God has called us to love and serve him with passion for the rest of our lives. Even in our relationships, in our career, in our commitments, we need revival. We need renewal. We need a revival, a reviving of our commitments and vows. It's not easy to be faithful, focused, and fruitful. King David had 20 sons, but only one reigned. We looked last week that there's much attrition and atrophy in the body of Christ. And last week we learned attrition is the action or process of gradually reducing the strength or effectiveness of someone or something through sustained attack and pressure. We gotta learn how to deal with spiritual warfare. We gotta learn how to deal with being good stewards. Atrophy speaks of a gradual decline in effectiveness or vigor due to underuse or neglect. There's too many Christians, we don't pray during the week. That's underuse, that's neglect. And then we wonder why our strength is small in the midst of battle. Brothers and sisters, this is why I post spiritual vitamins every day. You have to pray, you have to do your devotions, you gotta lock in every day. Can I hear an amen? So reflecting a renewal revival, one of my favorite authors, his name is Robert Greene. He wrote a bunch of really good books, right? So one of the things I want to say is when you have these principles, you outlast the, the uh, a demonic assignments assigned to your life. The devil won't stop leaving you alone, but he will stop certain assignments and even stop agitating certain people to agitate you, to distract you. Robert Greene says in the 33 Strategies of War, Warriors focus on what they do have, the strengths they do possess, and they must use it creatively, knowing when to slow down, when to renew, to retrench. They outlast their opponents. They play for the long term. God will cause you to outlast your enemy because God is eternal and your opposition is only temporary. Bless God. How many people know there are certain agitators in your life that are no longer bothering you? They're no longer. There, there are certain people, unconverted people in the church. Sometimes there's goats in the church. 
Sometimes there's weeds in God's field. And they're not around to bother you no more. Because you locked in. You know, Bathsheba, David took advantage of her. Bathsheba's father was one of David's staff members. And he took advantage of her. But at the end of her tale, Bathsheba stands tall and in regal power. The one who raped her is dead, 1 Kings 2.10. On his deathbed, he orders the death of the one who sent Uriah to his death, her husband, 1 Kings 2.5-6. Her firstborn is with the Lord, 2 Samuel 12.23. And her son is king of the United Kingdom, 1 Kings 1.39. We're talking about Solomon, making her queen mother of all Israel. She outlived all those who hurt her or could harm her child. I speak endurance into your life. That there are things trying to harm you and you will outlast it in the name of Jesus if you just lock on to the principles of renewal and revival. Now let's look at three definitions of revival. Last week we looked at two. First, de first definition is the work of the Holy Spirit in restoring the people of God to more to a more vital spiritual life witness and work by prayer and the word after repentance in crisis for their spiritual decline. Let's take the first step of revival right where you're at. And let's repent for lukewarmness. Let's repent for idolatry. Let's repent of secret sins that have zapped us. Let's repent of the spirit of, of offense. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We do this mini altar call conviction is real and we don't want the devil to turn his conviction into condemnation and confuse us forgive us of lukewarmness forgive us of idleness forgive us of having idols I pray Lord God that you release a fresh fire over everybody watching right now in Jesus name amen and amen oh yes we have to repent and reflect and renew Second, uh, another definition of revival from one of my favorite authors, Len Sweet and Frank Viola, from their book, Jesus Manifesto. Uh, this is a good book. Pastor Kenny, I know you're looking for a book to read. This is it, beloved, Jesus Manifesto. Every revival and restoration in the church has been a rediscovery. Somebody say rediscovery of some aspects of Christ in the process of answering this critical question. In fact, three features are present in every awakening in the history of the Christian church. One, a rediscovery of the living word or scripture and its authority. Two, a rediscovery of the loving Christ and his supremacy. And the rediscovery of the living spirit and the spirit's gifts and power to manifest Christ in the context of culture. God has a history of taking seriously people who take God's word seriously. And then the last definition I want to give you, revival is intensification of the ordinary operations of the Holy Spirit in conviction, assurance, regeneration, and sanctification. This was by Tim Keller. He says, sleepy Christians wake up, wake up. <laughs> Nominal Christians get converted. Hard to reach folks dramatically are drawn to faith. Many Christians are lukewarm. They are not sad enough, not mad enough, and not glad enough. Ooh, they're not sad because of sin. They're not mad because of the deception of the devil, and they're not glad enough about God's mercy, gifts, and goodness. 
So the big idea of last week was the renewal experience by Israel during the reign of King Josiah because they found the book of Deuteronomy with the return of the word of God. So the application point last week was to the extent we devote ourselves to the scripture, we will experience revival of faith that in our lives together. Today's big idea, we're going to look at the book of Nehemiah. book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah's commitment to prayer enables him and the return of exiles to have faith, have the faith and perseverance to rebuild Jerusalem and renew their city. Application point today is prayer must permeate our lives and our church if we are to, to seek to seek to experience renewal. All right, I got to read this scripture. First I mean, Nehemiah, not first, Nehemiah 1, 4 through 11. So this talks about Nehemiah worked for the king and uh, of Babylon, I believe, and um, of Persia. I gotta double check that. And um, he heard that the walls of his country were, were put in shame. They weren't being built. The king let the Jews go back, but they didn't have the wherewithal or the commitment to rebuild. Let me tell you, sometimes... Poverty drains you. Sometimes loss after loss drains you. Have you ever worked in social work or in schools and sometimes you give certain parents steps to get out of a slump and they're just like overwhelmed because the devil tries to drain you of hope and energy. All right, let's read Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4 through 11. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and pray to the God of heaven. Ooh, mourn, fasted, and pray. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and of unfailing love with those who love him and obey him, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess, this is repentance, that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you have given us through your servant Moses. Please remember, underline that, remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, that even you that even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hands are your servants. Verse 11. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put into his heart to be kind to me. And in those days, I was the king's cup bearer. Praise the Lord. So let's look at some big ideas from this beautiful book. Nehemiah was a Jew uh, cup bearer to King Artaxerxes when he heard that the Jews who had returned to Jerusalem are living still surrounded by remnants of the city walls, even after the return of Ezra two decades later. 20 years, there's been no progress. He's filled with grief. The condition of the city mirrored the conditions of the faith of the people. 
It's a shamble. And this is what distressed Nehemiah so much. As scholar Aaron Mesner puts it, by now here, 20 years after that, it turns out that the city, the city is still abandoned. Abandoned. There's no wall. The people are in, I mean, it's just a situation of social, spiritual, and physical still degradation. And Nehemiah is devastated by that. Quick tip. You know, one of the things we have to do is change our space to reflect our grace and our race. And so for some of us, we have to understand that spiritual growth shall lead us into uh, beautifying our space. It shall lead us into fortifying the walls of our obligations and duties. You know, whether it's getting your files in order, your birth certificate in order, your your, your social security card, your your, your records, you know, that we have to understand that sometimes we get saved, but the devil has hit us for so long that our, our walls are still down. We're living under our inheritance. We're living under our privilege as sons and daughters of God. Nehemiah convinces the king to allow him to return, uh, Nehemiah 2.5. But before he begins this endeavor, he prays. He knew, however, however great his own accomplishment, accomplishments and benefactions towards the people has been, God's kindness finally has been motivated by God's own steadfast love. Prayer, oh, prayer is prominent throughout the book of Nehemiah, uh, several chapters. Uh, the reframe in each prayer is for God to remember which occurs over 200 times in the Old Testament. Nehemiah pleads with God to remember the covenant of Moses, just as Moses beseeched God to remember the Abrahamic covenant. So when we ask God to remember, we're also triggering ourselves, within ourselves, the, the power of covenant, the power of agreement. So prayer works. Like this, I found this thing in 2019, a 14-year-old named Cameron Cox initiated a fundraising effort for Habitats for Humanity. She called it a penny and a prayer. She made her rounds to local establishments with two sets of mason jars, one to collect loose change and the other to collect prayers and good wishes for families partnering with the Habitat. The effort raised enough money to assist the building of three houses in her hometown of Spring Hill, Tennessee. And the new homeowners received the prayers and blessing, including one from an 11-year-old who said, so happy for you and your new blessing. Hope your life will be smooth. Jesus loves you and so do I. We all know the beautiful Jim's, uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle, right? Jim Sibyl's ministry of Brooklyn Tabernacle is widely known for his music and global outreach. But before the growth of the ministry, Simula and his wife faced huge challenges. Finally, at the moment of despair, God spoke to him in prayer, promising phenomenal growth in ministry if he would simply begin to lead his congregation in prayer. He was telling me that my hunger for him and his transforming power will be satisfied as I led this tiny congregation out to him in prayer. The Brooklyn Tabernacle ultimately became one of the largest and most influential churches over the last 30 years, but prayer is no guarantee of such success. Nehemiah faced numerous challenges in rebuilding a wall. Rather than ensuring worldly success, prayer and trust God, and trust the work and its outcome to God. St. Augustine said, St. Augustine said, prayer as though everything depended on God 
and work as though everything depended on you. See, one thing about Nehemiah, he prayed and he had a plan. He prayed, he planned, and he implemented. He rebuilt the wall. 20 years it was destitute. And he rebuilt it in 52 days. 52 days. Think about that. 20 years with no leadership. Now, 20 years, they had Ezra. He was a priest. He was he was, he was uh, reading the word of God to them. But they had no prayerful plan. And they had no management, no systems, no structures. He came as a man with prayer, a man with a plan, and a man of God that understood systems and structures. I want to speak into you that many of you know how to pray, but many of you don't know how to plan. Many of you know how to plan, but no, many of you don't know how to live with routine systems and structures. And some of us wrestle with diligence. And I speak the spirit of diligence, the mantle of prayer, and the way Wisdom to plan over your life. Because that's what's going to transform some. That's what's going to help us rebuild some of our walls. The old saints used to say, if you don't pray, you don't stay. And if you don't fast, you don't last. So the basic idea was Nehemiah's commitment to prayer enabled him to return exiles to have faith and perseverance to rebuild Jerusalem and renew the city. Listen, he prayed, he planned, and he and he, he persevered. He pushed through. There was people trying to stop him, but he God gave him systems, gave him structures, gave him a routine, gave him a strategy. I pray for some of you watching right now for a spirit of renewal, a mantle of prayer, an ability to plan and the diligence to follow through with that plan to rebuild some aspect of your life that's been in disarray for two years, 10 years, 20 years. Prayer must permeate our lives and our churches as we seek to experience renewal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for everybody watching. I pray for that day we'll have the principle of prayer so they can serve you passionately, not barely, not to survive it, but thriving, even to their old age. That their body may get weak, but their spirit will stay strong. I pray for the spirit of prayer. I pray for people with good jobs like Nehemiah to pray and use their influence to make a difference in their community. I pray for a spirit of prayer, I pray for a wisdom to plan, and I pray for the diligence to implement those plans. I pray over the next 52 days, many people are going to get a breakthrough. Because they're going to have the spirit that was on Nehemiah. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Bless God. Let me stop the recording.